0: Thank you. Welcome to the Unscripted Wrestling Podcast. I'm here with my big brother, Dougie. Yo. And I'm the little brother, Dan. And we're here to talk about some Saturday night's main event, baby.
1: That we are. Sharon Sharon forgot to mute the TV because it's just the two of us on.
0: Yeah. Uh, It's all good. January 7th, 1989 is a big day for Akeem the African Dream.
1: Raheem the African Dream and, uh, you know, countless others. But yeah, Akeem gets Hogan in this one. And this was a very, like, the company was still hot at this point because you had uh, 1988, which was one of the company's biggest years because you started to build to Hogan versus Savage for WrestleMania 5. Right. And then you had the advent. You had the Twin Towers, Akeem and the Big Boss Man feuding with the Mega Powers. You know, you had the warrior who was coming up. You had other guys. Like, you had so much stuff going on and so much that was building in this episode, and it came to a head. Yes. Uh, In an an outlaw's uh, case, a shaved head.
0: Outlaw Rambas.
1: Yeah. Rand's cousin. <laughs> I don't... I
0: like this because... Here's the thing. If you put this in the year, like, 1993, and then, uh, you know, put it in, in front of, like, a dead crowd, maybe this whole card sucks. You know what I mean? Yeah. But the fact that it's in WWF during its peak when fucking business is hot... Hulkamania is running wild, baby. And you got the mega powers going and they're getting ready to explode. All that shit going on, Mr. Perfect. Like, it was just such a hot time for the business and the crowd was so fucking into it. People love this shit that you can't watch it and not enjoy it, to me. Right. Even if the wrestling's not, especially because nowadays, you know, you're used to the flippy dippies and all that shit. But uh, <laughs> but now, but so, you know, back the old days shit, the golden age stuff might not be impressive to you, but for me going back and watching this stuff where the crowd really gives a fuck because crowd participation to me is always a big deal. Yeah. And that's kind of what killed modern wrestling in my eyes. And it, and it helped make the early days of AEW. It's a make or break type deal. If you got a dead crowd, it's kind of hard to to do anything. Even if it's a great match and everybody's watching on TV, if the crowd thinks it sucks, the general opinion's
1: probably going to take. I, it. So. what's funny too is going back in the in the like in those early days when a mu- when music hit, when somebody theme music hit, especially a baby faces music hit if the crowd popped large for that baby faces music hit yeah. then you knew that the crowd was really going to be into the, into the match cuz if they were happy to see that person come out then like you knew that they were going to be they were going to come alive for what they were getting ready to say yeah you know they popped for hogan they popped for beefcakes beefcakes music for christ's sake Pop for the cake uh but you know in, in this specific time period you know we're eight days away from the royal rumble uh You know, we're coming off a Survivor Series where, um, you know, Hogan, you know, at the end of Survivor Series, Hogan grabbed Miss Elizabeth for a hug, and Macho Man, that's when Macho Man started to get really jealous, uh, you know, because he started to think that Elizabeth, or that Hogan had lust for Elizabeth, yeah, and, uh. Which, you know, Hogan acted like he was trying to get an Elizabeth's skirt. He did. I agree. Yeah. So, like, it was just, I mean, because a lot of the stuff they were saying, and even though, like, they were trying to treat Hogan as the baby face still, it's just like, you know, guys, like, if you really pay attention to this, that he really is acting like a piece of shit. <laughs> he really is a piece of shit. Yeah.
0: I, I agree. I thought, ho- and honestly, Elizabeth, it's like, what the fuck you doing, hon? Like, like you're my wife. You, like, I get it, you're a manager to this guy, dude, but why are you touching him and shit? Right. And why are you so worried that he's hurt? Like, that that's what cracked me up. I mean, I think it's one of those things that I just thought was funny, but the way when he was, like, watching the TV back with Jean and she came back, he's like, he's hurting and he's like, it's okay, Elizabeth. and Just like the way he said it. It had me cracking up for some reason. Yeah, and, and he's fine. yeah, and he's like, "Don't worry, Elizabeth. just like, like he's like, "Calm the fuck down." And then the say what you want about the corniness and the cartoonness and all that, it's almost masterful storytelling, and it's one of the best storylines in, in WWE history. And those two, Hogan and Macho, were like the two perfect guys to do it, especially because Hogan was so popular. But Macho, like. Him not wanting to come out and him like, kind of like, fuck you, Hogan, but without saying it. But then the moment something fucking happens to Elizabeth, the moment fucking big boss man touches her, he's out there. Yeah. Because that's his fucking wife and he loves her to death. And then it seems like she's fucking just paying a little too much attention to Hogan. So he's like, hey, what the fuck? But then, you know, it's okay. We'll still go back. Hogan was hurt the whole time. So Hogan's like, yeah, we're boys. He fucking came out. He's the man. And Macho's like, damn right, buddy. <laughs> yeah, and Elizabeth's just like, ah. Yeah, bullshit, like behind him. But I, I just thought for long-term long term storytelling is something that makes wrestling really good when it's done right. I think they try to do it a lot now, and sometimes it really doesn't work for me. Right. Because I also like the Attitude Era of Vince Russo fucking... Uh, jerry springer like everything happens in this episode and you don't need much carryover you don't need long term all the time let's change the belts around all the time let's do like i like that shit too but this was a nice like we're gonna work on this these two are a tag team these are the two biggest stars we've ever had and we're gonna slowly watch them decline and watch macho turn into a villain like in front of our eyes and but and you're right it's hard because he's the villain of the story, but he's only the villain because Hogan is so popular. Because when you're watching it, you're like, I don't blame this motherfucker. I'd be smacking Hogan in the teeth. And I'd be like, Elizabeth, quit fucking touching him. Like, I, I don't blame, you can't really blame Macho Man for, anything, for becoming like a bad guy after this and then getting Sherry and all that. It's really not his fault. feels like he was kind of pushed to it.
1: Yeah, and that's, but it's still really good storytelling in my eyes. Yeah, it was really good storytelling, and a lot of this episode, too, like, if you go to the beginning in the haircut match and the story that was told there and the fact that this was going to be, you know, kind of the culmination of the storytelling, and then you go to later on in the fourth match when it was Tito and the Rooster and the storytelling that was starting there with the Red Rooster and Bobby Heenan. Yeah. Uh. And then, obviously, the Intercontinental title match, which is the rematch from SummerSlam. Uh, And then, you know, basically Perfect just trying to, you know, build on, you know, build on his perfect record. So, there was a lot of storytelling that was going on here because you were seeing some of the guys that were going to get pushed as big stars. Yeah. That were going to be featured prominently. Because, again... For anybody that doesn't know, because I don't know if we've actually... I know we've done episodes of the main event on this show. I don't know if we've ever done Saturday night's main event. Yeah. So Saturday night's main event, for anybody that doesn't know, is basically... It started in 1985, and it would... uh, Quarterly, which would usually be probably January, uh, either April, May. uh, Or January, it would be January, March, either April or May. Of uh, usually most of the time May or end of April, uh, in 89, they started doing July. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, so like in July, then October, maybe November or October and then November. And, and basically, so it'd be like four or five special events a year and also, you know, February, the main event. mm mm-hmm. And it would take the place of uh, Saturday Night Live. So it would be from 1130 to 1, 1130 p.m. to 1 a.m. Right. And uh, what they would do is they would actually put on the big matches first because they knew it was so late at night to where it's just like, all right, we got to get, you know, so we got to get the haircut because we're banking on the haircut match yes all right so we got to get that and we got to get hogan out of the way yes so hogan there was barely ever a time where hogan was not the first or second match on the on the card well yeah and to me that was always like
0: that's what you expect from the main event which it's funny because it's called saturday night's main event but the main event is usually like match number two Yeah. And then, you know, the rest of the, like the main, actual main event, Mr. Perfect Wrestling's cool. It wasn't his debut, was it?
1: On Saturday night's main event, it was. Okay. I mean, he had been around for a few months, though.
0: So, that wasn't really a main event match with him and Coco, but it was still a fun thing to put at the end. But, yeah, Hogan, to me, that's what always made these special. And that's when I, like, look back on history. It's like, oh, that's cool that they did that. And I know they've tried with actual main event when they brought it back yeah but you know
1: <laughs> and and the funny thing is too, is that like usually the first match would always be like the one that had like the biggest like build up, yeah, so beefcake and bass because it was a haircut match had the biggest build up, therefore it went on first uh i I want to think back to October of eighty eight when they did their Saturday night's main event. Yeah. They're big, Even though Hogan was taking on King Haku, the biggest build-up was, was uh, Jake the Snake and Rick Rue. Yes. So they went on first. Again, that was your big build-up. Uh, so it, it just basically, it just kind of depended on, you know, what the main story was heading into the thing. And yes, Hakeem and Hulk Hogan was the main story, but it was like that story was going to continue.
0: Yeah.
1: Beefcake and Bass, for all intents and purposes, was ending.
0: Which is probably a good thing.
1: Yeah. Because Ron Bass was kind of
0: past his prime here. Sorry to say.
1: Yeah. He was, by the way, RIP. Yes. And I actually did kind of meet him at a convention once. I mean, I didn't go up and get his autograph or anything. Yeah. But I happened to walk past him. Walk past his booth and nobody was there. That's fucked up. Uh, well, here's the thing: like, he was sitting next to Stan Hansen, or sitting next to Stan Hansen, and like nobody was there. Like people, but there was never really like a line. I mean, people would go up, but there was never like a line. Yeah. So I walked past him, and he just kind of winked at me. Really? Yeah. That's funny. And I was. You know, I gave him weight. I mean,
0: he is a legend in his own right. Especially, he's a territory, he's a Florida legend. Like,
1: he did a lot of shit. Yeah. A territory uh, legend. I think also, like, uh, regional Texas territories, too, I believe.
0: Yeah. Uh, he, he went to Georgia, too.
1: Yeah. He's been in mid-Atlantic.
0: He's been everywhere. And he's really a legend of that era. But, like, a lot of, like, the Dino Bravos and the fucking Junkyard Dogs and the... By the time the w, that they came to the WWF, when WWF was white hot, they were kind of past their prime.
1: Yeah. In they, my eyes. They were just kind of getting used for, like, getting over the guys that Vince knew. Yeah. And gonna...
0: kind of name recognition. You remember these guys from a local wrestling show you went to when you were a kid? Here they are, you know? Yeah. Not when you were a kid, but you know what I mean.
1: Yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, And, like, with Beefcake... Because, you know, Beefcake was a friend of Hogan, so Beefcake was going to get this, you know, major push. Uh, Because the barber gimmick, believe it or not, was over.
0: Yeah, it was way too over. I'll never understand it. I'll never get it. And I feel bad because now it's kind of cool to hate on Brutus Beefcake, so I don't want to be, like, in the majority of, like, the nerds that hate on him. I just Mm -hmm. always thought it was fucking stupid.
1: I never got it. By the way, he never really got it either. Like, when they first gave him the gimmick... Yeah. All right, so the gimmick was given to him. Pat Patterson came up with the gimmick because Pat Patterson's real-life partner, Louie, yes. was a barber. And uh, Louie was kind of like, not necessarily involved in wrestling Uh, because, you know, Pat... Didn't really want people to know. Although, like, a lot of people did know. Or, like, the public didn't know, but, like, a lot of the guys knew. Uh, but Louie was a barber, so Pat's just like, I think we should have the barber. Uh, is that how he said it? Well, that's how Bruce Pritzer would say that he said it. So, they, uh, they came up with a barber gimmick, and they gave it to Brutus, and Brutus is just like, this is the dumbest fucking thing. I don't like this. But then Hogan's just like, here's how you get the gimmick over. Every match, after every win, you give a guy a haircut. Yeah. And he got it over. I mean, hell, I was a big Brutus fan. But then again, I was also young and stupid. But but he just, he was able to kind of captivate an audience. And he did, like, you see the way guys, you know, it's a very limited number of guys that can really captivate an audience now. Like, in WWE, like, you could say, like, you know, a recent returnee.
0: Yeah.
1: Kind of has the audience captivated because now, like, everybody's just wondering how long before he, you know, burns bridges. Uh, Like, and... Like, with Brutus, it was the same thing. It's just like he had the audience, because he had a cool gimmick. And, uh... Cool? <laughs> he had a gimmick. Back then. Yeah. Okay. Uh But he was also... I mean, he got it over, and, you know, they pushed him. They did
0: push him. I don't know. There's just, uh... And when I even, like... Because the crowd was going ham for him, too. Even throughout the whole haircut, which was kind of boring to me, especially out of, like, Ron Bass was asleep. You want a hair versus hair match, you go to WrestleMania 20, you pop in Molly Holly versus Victoria, and you watch a good hair versus hair match. And a damn good shaving. Molly fucking went all out for that thing. Kicking her feet, screaming, pissed, and she ended up as a bald chick afterwards. Yeah. Seeing a fat guy go bald, we see it every day. Yeah. Well, yeah it's like putting no fight up yeah like you could just put a video camera in your room and you could see that you know what i mean
1: hey
0: <laughs> but it's just like it's not that exciting it doesn't but the crowd was fucking going bananas for it and it's just this maniacal guy while a fat dude just asleep, just fucking cutting his hair like, ah, ah, and fucking it was to me it was stupid but the people loved it uh So that's how over he was, and that's how over this whole era is. I just – I never understood it. He was always in good shape. He was like – but to me, I I just – I never got it. Or I I just thought it was a little too cheesy, a little too stupid.
1: Right. And what's funny, you know, you referenced that WrestleMania 20 haircut match. What made it kind of cool for me was J.R. and King's commentary. Yeah. Which here, like with this haircut match, Jesse Ventura and Vince McMahon sucked.
0: Bad team. All
1: right. I don't I don't like either one of them. Uh, I thought they were actually the worst commentary. Like, Jesse with Monsoon was, was okay. Are
0: they like Todd Grisham, Josh Matthews bad?
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs>
0: no offense to either of those gentlemen, but that's a rough team. You remember that team? Wasn't mm-hmm. that an ECW team, right?
1: No, that was, it was Todd and Stryker. That's yeah. what it was. Yeah, but to be honest with you, I actually think they were better than Vince than uh, Vince and Jesse. Really? Yeah. Vince and Jesse to me is Josh Matthews, Pope D'Angelo, De Niro T- or Impact Wrestling bad. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, uh, if
0: your commentary sucks, you're screwed. Yeah. And yeah, because Vince was just only oh, he was just that baby face that it was it's just like. Especially if you know he owns it, it makes it even more like, you're just sucking your own dick here. You're just talking about how good everything is and how much you like everybody. Especially because we know Vince McMahon, and that is not Vince McMahon. Right. That whole thing, like, even the way he was talking and shit, that's not Vince. You know, we know Vince. We know the good shit pal and the fucking, just this crazy fucking dude that, whether you like him or hate him, and I know how you feel, and you're not going to... I don't, no, I'm don't not gonna. Go, I'm you.
1: not gonna go off. Uh, but
0: uh, I think he's a fucking genius. But
1: I think he was a genius.
0: Everything we know about him, he is not that guy. He is not this clean cut, like nice dude. With a with a heel making fun of him, that's not him. So it's like we're watching an authentic unauthentic version of him when right. we see that. And oh. Jesse Ventura has always been annoying. Yeah, Never Jeff- been good. I've never liked him. I never liked his wrestling. I never liked his commentary. I never liked it like, oh, McMahon. Like, I know, because this is a white-hot period, and he was there, so there you go. Good for you. (laughs) But I always thought he sucked. I always thought he was the – I liked the fucking real shit. I liked – fucking give me his name. The fucking – no, the Hulk Hulk Hogan-inspired tie-dye shirts.
1: Oh, Superstar?
0: Superstar Billy Graham. That is the guy, and uh, he was always just trying to be Superstar Billy Graham. So. Right, exactly. And he was a shitty version of that. I, uh, Superstar Billy Graham is the fucking man, even though he he said some wild shit. Now
1: well, said that uh, like Kofi well, Kingston
0: needs to do steroids and shit. Yeah,
1: well, and uh, well, we shouldn't talk too much because Superstar Billy Graham did pass.
0: Yeah, R.I.P. But
1: he said some crazy shit. Oh no, he did.
0: And I'm not saying that's not negative, but he has said he said some crazy shit. But he was a fucking legend, and he was the man. He he was, and, it and he was he actually a really wrestling. good
1: commentary too.
0: Body was not any yeah. of those things. I didn't like body.
1: And uh, here, here's the thing, you know, we brought up Josh Matthews earlier, right? Yeah. It, when Jesse and Josh pass, if Satan wants to start a start a wrestling company in Hell, Jesse and Josh would be the perfect commentary team because you know. And hell, you're supposed to hell everything is supposed to be awful, so the commentary team might as well be awful too. Yeah. Uh, so, anyway. uh, but yeah, I, that's the only real complaint I actually have about this episode is the fact that Jesse and Vince didn't have laryngitis. But uh, all right, so should we get into the first match? I even mean, we
0: haven't can. even gotten to the first match yet. Yeah, I mean, we kind of already did. Uh, there wasn't too much to it. Beefcase did this shit. Ron Bass controlled it a little bit in the beginning, but uh, it just felt like a jacked, really gimmicky dude going against a fat guy who was kind of past his prime.
1: I'm so you versus me, pretty much. You, you being the jack guy. Well,
0: I appreciate that.
1: Once the uh, once the gym body takes over. <laughs>
0: uh yeah right now i look like dusty but uh brutus and and Bass
1: looked like birth of <laughs> it
0: was it was an all right match i don't know what what do you want to get into it was okay i like i thought the there was a couple of arm drags i enjoyed yeah
1: i mean no, i was just kind of like it it was a decent match. I don't know, like should we even rate any of this stuff? Yeah. I think we should. And I'll give
0: this I know because it's so short, to me this is a six out of ten. I mean the match itself was okay, but the
1: the, <laughs> shaving I mean, the was
0: ending a... was really stupid. Yeah. So because of that I'd only give it a five.
1: I, I would yeah. say I would say about five and a half. Missy goes
0: four. Yeah. Uh <laughs> all mm-hmm. right. Now to me, like the meat and potatoes of this thing and and the best match on the card by far. Hulk Hogan uh, with Miss Elizabeth against Akeem with the Big Boss Man and the Jive Soul Bro Slick. Uh, There's another one. Akeem and I like one man gang. I've always liked them. I I think he's a great worker. Akeem, the, the African dream was a fucking weird gimmick, especially to strap onto a white dude and put him with Slick, and I, I just, it's a weird one. And also the dancing is fucking, and twisting the hands and Oh, shit. The, the dancing was really off. It really, I, watching it back, it was like, they were really trying to say fuck you to Dusty Rhodes. I know yeah. they still deny it, but it felt like, it does feel like a,
1: especially with the dancing, it
0: feels like a fuck you
1: to Dusty And that's why he, he danced, like, all throughout his promos, too. yeah. And it's just like he never fucking stopped dancing. He could never stand straight. But he doesn't look like he's dancing. He looks
0: like not mentally well. Yeah. Which is like, I'm not saying the anything. Hand, I'm the just hand saying. movement was really. Yeah, it was a little much. Not uh, there. He's like that one uncle at the barbecue that's trying to be cool. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I lo- but the match itself was a lot of fun. Hogan fucking doing, getting his ass beat getting 15 splashes on him by Akeem. It's like he should not win this. And then that's when the whole Elizabeth and a Macho Man thing goes and she it's okay, Elizabeth. But during that, Akeem splashes him like 15 times, gets on the top rope. We're watching He's dancing on the top rope doing the hand shit. And then he goes to jump and they pan away from the jump. Which is fucking stupid to me because you kind of build up to this thing. Of, oh, it's Hogan's big comeback, and then you have the big fucker jump, and then you focus on Elizabeth and You're Like fuck it, you don't need to see that. And then we go back to Hogan like already fucking bobbing his head doing the shit. I wonder if he if he boxed at that. Yeah, he might. Something.
1: He might have. Yeah, so that's
0: why they focused on Elizabeth. Yeah,
1: on tape delay. He, yeah, he because arrived. this is well, this episode actually was taped in December. Yeah. So you know it's coming in. You know it aired in January, but it had it had been taped a few weeks ago. So they do, if they have to, they heavily edit a lot of the stuff. It
0: right? could, yeah, you could be right.
1: So, good point, Sharon.
0: Good point. Sharon. Thank you. I try.
1: Damn, good point. Yeah. Uh, but
0: when Hogan got going and he hit the leg drop and he or he goes to hit the leg drop and he fucking hit the big boot and he's getting all excited. Like, the fans were into it, and so was I. I'm not a big Hulk Hogan fan. I know you're not. But his matches back then, as one-dimensional as they were, they do get you fucking pumped. If you can get in the rock and wrestling, like cartoon wrestling type mindset and watch this shit and enjoy yourself, it it can be really fun. And and this was a lot of fun. Hogan just fucking sweating, fucking going off the terrible hairline and fucking shaking his head like a madman and pointing at him. You! Like, that shit was fun. So it's just Hogan in his prime. It is like he was the man for a reason. People want to throw a lot of shade on his name, but you don't become the guy for no fucking reason. He wasn't anybody's son. He wasn't He wasn't brought into the – like Hulk earned – to me, it made sense why he was here. Akeem's not doing this with anybody else and causing the same heat and having the same crowd reactions. It's Hulk Hogan. And, That's the
1: outlier. And the funny thing is that like with Akeem – I'll I'll always remember the vignette where they introduced him as Hakeem. Yes, and they're in a fucking dark alley. Me, and Gene Okerlund, and Slick, and you know, gang comes out, and Slick goes, "Let me tell you something, brother." And J Je- and Gene just looks at him and says, "What's up, cousin?" <laughs> and I'm just like, I I, I was dying like yeah, when I heard that. that. I was like that was so freaking funny and then afterwards like the tribal dancers and all that who looked like a bunch of voodoo cannibals yes all start going towards Gene, and Gene's like oh i got to take care of my wallet <laughs> and then they and then they cut the camera uh and G, and here's the thing and here's the thing too and i know i have shit on gene okerlund many times especially for his wcw run in wwf gene okerlund was the man He was the shit.
0: Yes. Oh, and 100% agree. Just the, like, segues, the points of the camera, and back to you. There was a classiness about him. That's why the whole thing just seemed like an excellent production. Just watching it back, it's like I was impressed, especially for the time period. And just mean G, like, you could tell that they were the hottest that they've ever been.
1: Yeah. Well, and remember, NBC was no joke in in the 80s. Yeah.
0: Because
1: even think of of the television shows that they had. Uh, that that uh, channel, uh, that network, had been head on. Nineteen eighty nine, like you had the Golden Girls, who, by the way, they were the fucking number two rated show in the Nielsen ratings in in that time. Uh, from their inception in eighty five to when they left in, in to when they left in ninety two, they were always top ten. Yes. Of you know, around that time, Cheers were still going on strong. You had Elf, which was a, a top twenty a top twenty program. Uh, Empty Nest, which was the Golden Girls uh, spinoff, but they were, um, they were hot. they were hot at the time. And by the way, you know, a sat is it, this is a Saturday night, right? You know, yeah. Saturday night's main event. Yeah, it's not Sunday. The lead, so the prime time because a- NBC always did Saturday night sitcoms up until about ninety five. Yes. So they did Saturday night sitcoms. So it was, you know, in this time period, it was 227, Amen, Golden Girls and Empty Nest were your prime, was your primetime lineup. And that was a huge Saturday night lineup back in... I thought somebody was at the door. Uh, that was a huge primetime lineup back then. So NBC was like the number one network as far as like all television goes. So like the fact that... You know, you say that this was a really good production. It was. It should not be a surprise because of who did this production.
0: That's true. But and but Gene felt like in that, like he felt a part of that, like just the segues in the interview, and just he just had a classiness about him. You could tell this is prime Gene. Yeah. And I don't agree with you in the WCW because I like the Gene that doesn't give a shit and the shove it up your asshole hair and the fucking like. I like that he got, not, because la- I, I don't think he got lazy, I just thought he got old, that he's like, fuck it, I don't give a fuck anymore, I'm going to save more of what's on my mind. And I like that him and uh, the Brain would have cocktails beforehand. So Gene was always a little sauce, too. Right. In WCW. Oh, was he really? Yeah. Because him and Bobby the Brain Hina would have cocktails before every Nitro. That's why you, you would see Bobby slurring on commentary sometimes. But... Uh, I love that, though, because to me, that's two old fellas just having fun before their job, and I have no problems with it.
1: Bobby Heenan and Gene Okerlund and WCW, especially when they used to host WCW main event, which was on Sunday nights. Yes. In, like, 95, 96. Like, they actually hosted the program together. Uh, To me, they always reminded me of... uh, what the hell was the name of the two old guys in the Muppets? Uh, oh, Waldron well, and Stadler. Yeah. Stradler
0: or something like that. Yeah, Stadler. Stadler
1: or Stadler or something like that? Stadler. Yeah. Like, that's who Bobby Heenan and Gene Okerlund kind of reminded me of, like, especially in those days. Because it's just like, you know, even though Gene wasn't necessarily, like, grumpy like the brain was. Yeah. But, but like, sometimes Heenan would make him grumpy. Yeah.
0: So I like that version of him as well. I know you don't, but I, I don't mind it. But this, you it is his prime, and you can tell. He just seems like the host. He seems like the perfect, like all, all the interviewers we've ever seen, like from the ditzy girls that aren't that good to like Todd Grisham the fucking other people. Like Gene is the best to ever do it in this time period. Yeah. It's just it, bar none. There's nobody better at, at backstage interviews like that.
1: And then just tossing
0: it back to the kid, like he was just, he was perfect.
1: Yeah, and and that's that's a good part about it. And so I will give obviously because I was a fan of Gene back in the WWF days.
0: Yeah, he was the man. R.I.P.
1: Uh, yeah, definitely. That was actually a sad death, to be honest with
0: you. We're all sad, but yeah, I agree. All right, this match as a whole, though, especially with the story and everything involved, I'm gonna give an eight.
1: I'm gonna I'm gonna be right there with you.
0: All right, let's go to the Warrior and the Honky Tonk, the big rematch for the IC title. This goes five minutes. Warrior cuts a little promo beforehand, uh, which nobody can fucking understand probably. Honky Tonk's promo was weird. He's kind of seen babyfaceish a little bit. It was a little cocky, but he's like, I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna win that back. I'm gonna try my best, and it's like that. Eh. It's like,
1: yeah, it, that doesn't really suit you. Yeah.
0: Jimmy Hart, especially seeing him recently at one of our conventions that we were vendors at, by the way. Uh he was like he was a pretty good looking guy back then. Yeah. For being like a little like he's always been a little Weasley, and I don't mean that in a mean way, I'm just saying like his body type and shit. Uh he was like handsome with the sideburns back then and the big stash and stuff. He, he now was. he looks like the same thing but he looks like Master Splinter now. Right. <laughs> but but back then, he was like, there was a little fucking slickness to old Jimmy Hart.
1: Yeah. Oh, speaking of, and I keep forgetting to tell you, but, like, the conventions that we vendor at, the next one in May, Ted DiBiase is going to be there.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Oh, really? Yeah.
1: So that's definitely, I'll look to signing us up at the beginning of the year. Okay. Uh, But, no, like, with Honky Tonk, and what's funny is that, like, Honky Tonk, you know, comes off a 14-month run as Intercontinental Champion. Yes. And then, like, he kind of does a house show loop with Warrior, but then, like, in the 89 and 90, he just kind of falls off.
0: Yeah. He did.
1: Yeah. But, like, with Warrior, you could tell that the ascension for him was coming.
0: Well, yeah, but Honky Tonk, I mean... It's good he had the run he had, you know? Yeah. Because it's like, you look at that character, it's like, oh, an Elvis impersonator. Cool. Yeah. Uh, and you know, a lot of these Gold Age characters, it's like, it, there's no mileage. I mean, the match after this is the Red Rooster. so. Uh, but uh, Honky Tonk, that, he will forever be in wrestling history for that icy title run and for a couple different things. But to me, he is iconic in his own right. Not a main event guy by any means or nothing like completely special, but in this era, he fucking meant something. And even Warrior beating him
1: for the title the first time,
0: that meant something. So I I, I I liked him. And he did fall off, but he had a good run.
1: He did. And what's funny is that, like, at the Royal Rumble, which took place like eight days after this, he comes out and Jesse Ventura goes, oh, his fans are going wild for him, Gorilla. And Gorilla's like, yeah, they hate him with a passion. <laughs> And then, like, Honky's elimination, like, there was, there was, you know, in the Royal Rumble when a lot of the guys get, uh, especially, like, when a lot of the heels get eliminated over the years, especially in those early years, like, you can hear, like, the big pop. Yeah. Like, not only when the guys come out, but also, like, when the heels get eliminated. When he got eliminated by Tito Santana and Bushwhacker Butch, like, the fans went nuts. Uh... And uh, then, like, even, like, later on in the match, Butch did, good Lord, Butch did 20 minutes in that match.
0: Really? Right,
1: in that, in that Royal Rumble. And Gorilla's just like, how is the Bushwhacker still in that? Like, the babyface commentator, the babyface announcer goes, how is the Bushwhacker still in this thing? <laughs>
0: uh,
1: He's better than Luke. Oh, my. It, Butch it, in the the 89 and 91 Royal Rumbles, Butch would do like the 15, 20 minutes yeah. and then Luke would come in and do like three. <laughs> so <laughs> I know yeah. what
0: Bushwhacker they like better.
1: Yeah. Was herder. Yeah, and so it's just like what the hell? Like, and what's also funny too is that Luke was always the one that sold. Yeah. So Butch would always get the hot tag. You know, you know, if there was such a thing, but like that just goes to show. And that's another, even though they weren't part of the Saturday night's man event, that's another act that was over.
0: Yeah. It was super over, especially with the kids.
1: Yeah. I'll never forget the primetime wrestling when they kind of debuted gorilla and Bobby went to Bush gardens in Tampa, Florida which is actually where they... Well, they didn't film a Saturday night's main event at Busch Gardens, but they were in Tampa. Yeah. So... When they did the Saturday night's main event, Gorilla and Bobby stayed over so they could do the thing at Busch Gardens. And they were going and looking for him, and Bobby's just like, I want to ride all the rides and stuff. And he's like, we're not here to ride rides. We're here to, you know, find the Bushwhackers. I ain't looking for the Bushwhackers. They'll eat me. Yeah. And uh, then when you know when they found them they're on the back of the of the hay truck you know you know feeding the uh hippopotamuses or whatever yeah feeding the hippos and the bushwhackers start riding up and girls goes, hey bushwhackers welcome to the us of a and shakes both their hands and he's like how about here's bobby the here's bobby the weasel heenan and he throws heenan towards him and uh heenan's just like don't feed me to them like, it was just, like, it was pure comedy. Yeah. Which was, you know, a, something that, you know, that era was really good at.
0: Yeah, their act doesn't really age well anymore. You can't really lick people.
1: Oh, yeah, no, that's, like, can't lick people's heads anymore. <laughs>
0: yeah. he can't. No. But, uh, no, they were great. I, I, I loved the Bushwhackers. Uh, they're sorely missing on this card. But, uh, Warrior and Hawkeye was a fun Warrior match, just like the last match was a fun Hogan match. I give this a 7.
1: I'll agree with you. Good. All
0: right. Next, we got Tito and the Rooster.
1: With Bobby Heenan mic'd up.
0: Yeah, we got a mic'd up Bobby Heenan. And the whole story of this is that the Red Rooster has an undefeated record right now. But uh, it's all because of Bobby Heenan in Bobby's eyes. Bobby's the babyface manager. uh, And Bobby... Not the babyface man. He's the heel manager. I was
1: gonna let you correct yourself.
0: Oh, I appreciate that. Uh, Bobby was—he was yelling the whole time. He was pissed off at Rooster. He was saying that he had no talent. Even in the backstage when was interviewing him, and he's like, "He's got no talent. He's got no." And Rooster said, "Fuck you guys." And uh,
1: Bobby's like, Rooster would do a good dropkick, and he'd be like,
0: "Fuck you, dropkick sucks."
1: Yeah, and one morning he's just like. You're you're cooking, Rooster, you're cooking, and that's when he, Rooster started getting punched in the face.
0: Yeah, and as a Bobby Heenan stand like I fucking love Bobby Heenan. I think he's one of the best manager, commentators, whatever, personalities, just anything he was fucking so good at. I love like the weasel shit was perfect for him. I love that whole like a chubby guy just talking so much shit and then and he was always down to get his comeuppings and always down to fucking get his ass kicked. And uh, it's weird to hear because poor Terry Taylor, who was a good wrestler and over in certain territories, uh, the Red Rooster gimmick, it was he thought it was a rib on him and he didn't like it, even though everything was a fucking weird gimmick. But calling him the Red Rooster and putting the little fucking red mohawk in his hair and shit, uh, he just wasn't over. The crowd, and this crowd, it's not just because it was silly. The crowd was rooting for a fucking demonic barber fucking 30 minutes ago. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, it's not that it's a silly gimmick. The Ultimate Warrior, like, what the fuck is that? But people loved it. It's just they didn't get into him. And this felt like... Because he didn't try. No, but and I but I feel like he did try. Like, even when he turns on Bob... Because Tito beats him. Spoiler alert. Uh, Tito beats him. And then... Bobby gets in the ring and starts smacking the shit out of him, and, uh, you know, fuck you, you suck, and then Red Rooster, like, Bobby turns around, he turns back, and Rooster's like,
1: you want a piece of me?
0: And just the way he says it, it's like, you're a pussy, you know, like, it's just like, like the way he said it, his, like, physical body language, like, everything about it, it's like, this guy's never gonna be over, he's a fucking waste of time. And I was, Terry Taylor was a really good worker, but, like, that whole thing right there, it's like it killed it. And then he's beating the shit out of Hina, and he, he's made, making faces, and the crowd's silent. Yeah. That's the first, that was the only time in that whole show that the crowd wasn't making a fucking noise because no one cared about the rooster. And it's like – and they're fucking cheering everything, even shit that I think kind of sucks. The crowd was into it. They fucking hated this. And it's like how do you not blame Terry Taylor? Because, right. like, Bobby's doing what Bobby's got to do. He's fucking bouncing around the ring, letting him beat the shit out of him, making faces. Yeah, like, like he's letting it, his
1: jaw go, like, different directions. It looks like the claymation characters in Celebrity Deathmatch when yeah. they get hit. And you can't blame Bobby because that's
0: always worked. Paul beats him up, it's fucking big money. Warrior beats him up, it's big money. Savage beats him up, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. He's getting the weasel trapped in the ring and fucking giving him the old one 2 That's, like, a move they love to do. And, and they would do that with all sorts of different guys. This was Terry's moment to, like, fucking make the Red Rooster something. And uh, it didn't work. It just didn't work. I give the whole thing, and the match with Tito was okay, but since it was more of a story and Bobby yelling in the background, it takes away from the actual, which is fine, because that's what they were building up to. It was just anticlimactic because Rooster didn't really
1: have what it takes. Right. Uh, I give this whole thing, like, a two out of ten. I think it's the low part of the card. I give it about a three and a half. Because, like, I, I do like the fact that he was mic'd up.
0: Yeah. Bobby and it was cool. There movie. was nothing wrong with Bobby. He was yeah. doing his job. Which,
1: by the way, they did. I think it was especially done for a home video release. Okay. I think. Yeah. Because they did special shit like that. Uh, But it was mainly done for a home video release. Because they actually did the same thing many years later. They did that for a Sensational Charity. Okay.
0: Yeah, like, I didn't mind it. I just, everyone else involved. Not not really, but, like, Terry, I just thought the Red Rooster was kind of a flop. Yeah, he couldn't sell it. He couldn't sell it. I know it was silly, and he was kind of pissed off about it, but, you know, you either make it work or you don't, and he didn't. So, Uh, all right, let's go to the last match, and a gimmick that, which is funny because there's been stories that these two guys were in line for these two gimmicks at the same time, and Terry Taylor could have been Mr. Perfect. But uh, Mr. Perfect, Kurt Henning, defeats Coco Beware. And me, as a heel guy and guy that likes heels, this, like, first, like, mainstream promo from him was pretty good. It'll be done perfectly. And it was just, like, he, he had it all perfect. Yeah. He had it all ready to go. And it was just, like, it was a very rehearsed, but it just felt... Natural, I liked it, and, then and again,
1: Gene did an awesome job, yeah. holding the stick and he worked the with questions. him. It was
0: it was awesome. Yeah, I, had, I don't want to keep calling it perfect, but it was fucking good. And then he he describes the perfect plex, and then he goes out there and he does it, and it's a good showcase of him. It's a good like debut for him. I know he's been around, but for the main event, it was a good like introduction. If you've never seen Kurt Henning before, that's a good way to like get to know
1: him. You know what's actually funny too is that like. A lot of times on Saturday night's main event, if they were trying to get a heel over, if they put a heel in the last, in like the very like last spot of the card, yeah. and trying to get him over, it was Coco.
0: There's like
1: a- Coco was the one getting him over. Poor Coco. Uh but co- that's how good Coco was as a, I mean, as a as a job guy. I mean, Coco was one of the most over job guys that the company had. Yeah, he was, and. Because he had the really good gimmick with the bird. and. You know, I always
0: enjoyed him. Yeah. And it makes you think, what do you think was holding him back? hate to bring it to a racial thing, but yeah.
1: maybe if the times
0: were a little bit more. No, I'm not trying to say anything about Vince or any of them, but Coco Beware was super over. You're right. And he was really good in the ring. Yeah. And if you would have let him talk, I'm sure he was good at talking, too. He was a
1: great promo. Yeah. So it, By the way, he did. He was in the main event of the 88 Survivor Series. Yes. Uh, did his team win? Yeah, but he was like the first one. I think he, <laughs> or no, he was the second one eliminated. Okay. The uh, second one eliminated off his team. Because it, uh, it was the Twin Towers team. So it was Akeem, Bossman, King Haku, Ted DiBiase, and Red Rooster versus the Mega Powers team, which was Hogan, Savage, Hercules, Coco, and Hillbilly.
0: Yes,
1: and I think Rooster got eliminated off his team, and then I think Hillbilly and Coco got eliminated off uh, off the Hogan team. But no, Coco was a hell of a promo. He was he had the whole package almost, yeah,
0: and a cool parrot.
1: Yeah, everybody
0: and, likes a parrot,
1: and the cool theme songs, which by the way he did.
0: Yeah, no, he's like a multi-dimensional underrated talent. Especially for just being a job guy. Yeah. And, you
1: know, But he would get the heels over. Yeah. Like, I remember uh, back in 88, so the year prior, he works a Saturday night's main event with Rick Rude. It was like a four or five minute match, right? And Rude got the win. So then, uh, like, a few weeks later on Primetime Wrestling... They run that match back, but it was a different, like, taped match. Yeah. That went 15 minutes with Coco getting the countout win. And it's just like both matches were really good, but you had one match that helped get Rude over. Yeah. And then you had another match where Coco kind of got a moment. Now, Rude got counted out because he was chasing the British Bulldogs who were chasing Bobby Heenan. But it was like, Coco was such a, I hate to say the word good hand. Cause I know a lot of those guys take that person, take that as an insult, but Coco was somebody. It's just like, okay, Coco pal, we need you to get over. Like, we need, uh, we need Kurt Henning over. Yeah. Can, can you make him look good? And Kurt, and you know Kurt really didn't need help make uh, didn't need help looking good. Right. But Coco went out there and it was a it was a decent match. And yeah, hell, it was a damn good
0: match. Yeah. I really liked that. I thought both guys did this for
1: three minutes. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, hell, Coco Coco was the first like major like big name well kind of big name opponent that they gave to the boss man. Yeah. So. He worked the houses with the boss man, and it was like five – it wasn't five minutes of Coco getting the shit meat out of him either. Coco got off it. Boss man, he didn't necessarily bump for Coco, but he got bounced around. Right. I give this a six out of ten. I
0: thought it was very good.
1: For what I'll it give it a six and a half. All right. Uh, but – yeah, that just goes to show that like the, the talent here, even though like you know you can classify. Obviously, Hogan Savage, you know, at the top, and then you know they were top tier and all that. Yeah. But there was a lot of guys in that company that were just like, when given the spot of like a Saturday night's main event, because that was their main.
0: It's just like the Attitude Era, where when the best eras of wrestling is when everybody's firing at all cylinders all the time. And even, like, the first man, whatever, like, anybody, the underneath talent, the, like, job guys, everybody knows what the fuck they're doing and is killing it. And you don't have one weak link. And that's how this kind of time was.
1: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And there were certain guys, like, you know, we were talking about the Bushwhackers not being on this card. Or, like, you know, some people could say, oh, Rick Rude wasn't on this wasn't on the show, or Jake Roberts, or Jim Duggan, or DiBiase, Dibiase or Dino Bravo, because Dino Bravo was a was a heavy hitter at the time. Yeah. Uh, not necessarily. I'm not necessarily a big fan of his, but he was such an important part of the program.
0: Yeah.
1: Of the company, demolition, the tag chance. So there, there was a lot of people. Obviously, it's only an hour and a half show. Yeah. So he couldn't have everybody, but it's just like the people that they picked, it's just like, okay, you know, know, it was a good showing for...
0: It was. Damn good show. What was the
1: rating on here? Does it say? No. Uh, I don't
0: know. I just know that there was 9,000 people in attendance.
1: Okay, Yeah. They didn't give a rating for it. Or didn't they? It doesn't matter. I was just looking. Yeah, nothing. Uh,
0: what would you rate what would you rate the event? Out of ten I
1: would give it an eight.
0: I give it an eight too. I thought it was really good.
1: Yeah. And again, it was, you know, pure you know it was what the W W F was good at back in this time. Yeah. And it was I mean, they really didn't do anything to set up the Royal Rumble. Uh, but it's just like you had stories that they were starting to progress towards for WrestleMania. So they they did there was some really good storytelling here.
0: There was. I mean that was the era that I liked wrestling a lot.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, that, that's a lot of people's favorite. And when they, a lot, of, a lot of older people it's like, oh, I watched it when I was a kid, but I grew out of it. It's because they watched it when it was good during this, and then you started seeing the bashing booger, and you're like, alright, I'm out. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's when
1: it
0: got to the, oh, what is it, the, when they would do the, oh, the attitude. The attitude have, or or if it got too dirty like that, and then you got Yeah, I, that's when it totally turned me off. But, uh, yeah, no, this was a great event. Uh, what, you want to update the team challenge series a little bit okay so
1: right now you and i are going head to head paul bear which is you yes going against jim cornette which is me i think i'm going to take this first set cuz the only one you're beating me in right now undertaker's beating under the giant but they are kind of, but everything is kind of close so it is pissing me off a little bit <laughs> uh you give a update here. A little quickie. Uh, yeah, so Undertaker's beaten Andre 10-9. Mark and Jay Briscoe, who Jim Cornette is managing, uh, beaten the Godwins 13-3. to 3. John Cena's beaten Missing Links 6-4. And Ravishing Rick Rue beaten Kane 6-4 uh, as well, but that can always change. So, like, even though... I got the leg up on three of them. That doesn't mean it's going to last, which kind of...
0: And who are you going against?
1: It's uh, Daniel and I.
0: Okay. And I'm going to beat that ass. <laughs> All right. We'll, we'll talk a little more current stuff next week. Yeah. Oh, you got something? For next week, yeah.
1: Okay.
0: We'll talk more current stuff for what's going on and stuff.
1: Yeah. And then also, too, I kind of want to give a little bit of a a, a preview, too. The Von Eric movie comes out next week.
0: That's what I figured we'd do. We'll, we'll preview the Iron Claw, and we'll talk about some current stuff in CM Punk.
1: Sounds good to me.
0: All right. We'll see everybody next week. Doug, you got anything else? Or...
1: Uh, no, I'm good.
0: All right. We'll see everybody next time, and uh, have a great weekend. Bye! Bye.